0: Good morning, um, if you're new here, my name's Jade, and I am the wife of Brian, who's our head pastor here, and I'm excited to be here this morning. Just so you know, um, Brian is definitely the more excellent communicator. But if you are hoping for a little bit today, smiles help me a lot. So if you give me a few smiles, it'll help me out. Um, but I'm happy to be here. He's having a great time in California. They went yesterday for the healing rooms, and he said it was a good experience. So we'll see what God does, but they're having a good time. Okay, so um, I'm a transplant here to New England. And I love it here. I really, truly do. I feel like this is like my heart's home in New England. Um, I grew up in Colorado, brief little state in California, and then came here. And in Colorado, I grew up, um, my dad's a farmer, kind of out on the not very fun part of Colorado. <laughs> the mountains. But um, I love my dad. He's a farmer, and he's a pretty funny guy. You wouldn't know it because he's kind of quiet and... Um, He has kind of like a dry, witty humor, but I thought, could I start with sharing one of his classic jokes? Okay. Before I do that, can I, I'll just, let's pray, and then we'll do the joke. (laughs) Okay. So, Lord, just receive your presence this morning. Receive your love and your care that you're with us, that you're always working, and that you have good things for us this morning as we turn our attention to you. So Father, I pray for just soft hearts in all of us to hear the word of your Spirit and to respond in love. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, here's a Phil Vassa joke for you. Um, So there was a man who got stranded on a desert island, and after quite a few years, there was a helicopter rescue, and so they they helicoptered down, they rescued him out, and they were airlifting him away, and as they were flying off, the rescuers said, wow, we're like so happy you're okay, it's amazing you survived all these years, and they're looking down on his little island, and they see three huts. And they say, well, what's, what, tell us about your buildings. Like, what's that hut? He goes, well, that's my house. I go, okay. Well, what's that one? And they say, he said, oh, that's my church. And they said, well, what's that one way over there? And he said, well, that's my old church. <laughs> okay. So not a diss on churches or on changing churches. But there is a reality that all of us have some sort of church story. And there is a reality in churches that oftentimes people are hurt. There is a reality that, especially in the context of church, you're opening yourself up to people. You're becoming vulnerable. You're investing. And oftentimes, sometimes, you can be met with hurt from other people. They can let you down. You can feel like you put yourself at their mercy and you got burned. This is, this is a reality, sadly. Um, there's a group called the Bar- Barna Group, and they do studies. And there was a study that they had that among unchurched adults in the U.S. population, four out of ten of them, so four out of ten adults that don't go to church said that they avoid churches because of their negative past experience with churches or with church people. So 4 out of 10 don't go to church because they've been hurt by the church or by Christians. <clears throat> but it's not just church, right? It can be other areas too. You do the right thing. You open up to someone or you invest in some, something or someone or you are vulnerable you're in a relationship. You are doing the right things, and then you get hurt. You're at the mercy of someone else. They don't respond in a way that is good. This could be your job. You're doing the right thing. You're a hard worker. You show up. You're diligent. And yet you still have this boss who like, makes it super hard for you or doesn't appreciate you or coworkers that are just horrible to work with. Or it could be your spouse. You are being faithful to them. You're loving them. You're doing your side of the relationship. And you can feel like you're at their mercy because they can decide to hurt you. It could be your roommate. It could be your family. It could be your kids. I'm like, Brian, we're, going, we're talking about this. I'm like, Brian, as a mom, I'm like at the mercy of my children every moment of every day. <laughs> I can be doing the right mom thing and be totally at their mercy. Always. Okay, but often this triggers a reaction in us. We have lots of triggers that we've talked about with complaining. But we're going to look at this trigger today. The trigger of, like, you're doing the right thing. You're being faithful. You are being honorable. And yet, it's not working out for you. So where do we go with that? Often we can go to like, God, you're not showing up for me. Where are you, God? Like, I'm doing the right thing here. You're not showing up. And the temptation is to give in to feeling hopeless or helpless or discouraged, impatient. People, other people outside your control are keeping you from where you're supposed to be. So this is the last series in our message, Complaining is the Devil, and we're going to look at a passage of scripture where the Israelites are wandering around in the desert and they get to deal with this question. What do we do when we're trying to do the right thing and God doesn't seem to show up? So can you turn with me if you want? It'll be on the screen. Numbers 21. i going to read verses 4 and 5. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Okay, so here's what happened. They come to Edom, the land of Edom, which are the descendants of Esau. So they're not Canaanites. And um, this is what happens. The chapter before, Numbers 20, they get to the land of Edom, and they're wanting to go through it. And so they say to the people of Edom, to the king of Edom, hey, listen, you know our story, right? Like, you know our story going all the way back. Like, our forefather Joseph went to the land of Egypt, And then he lived there for a long time, and we became enslaved. And it was hard. And then God delivered us. And then you know that we've been wandering around in the desert for a long time. So you know our story, right? It's been hard for us. And they say, will you please, like, throw us a bone? Like, can we please pass through your country? Number one, you know our history. Number two, we promise we'll be good. Like, we promise we won't eat any of your food. We won't drink any of your wine. We'll just stay on the highway. Like, we don't want to mess with your people. We just want to way through. We promise we'll be good. Promise. If we've had a hard time, we're going to be good. Seems reasonable, right? Yeah? Okay. The king says, no. No, you can't come through. And um, he says, not only... Can you not come through? But if you come through, we'll come out with the swords and kill you. Okay. Okay. They say, let's just be reasonable here. Um, We'll go by the highway. And if we drink your water, we'll pay for it. Like, we don't want problems. Can we just please go through your land? And the king says, you cannot pass through. And not only that, we're going to show up with our large army and show you that we're serious. You can't come. Okay, so the Israelites are at the mercy of the country of Edom. It's like they see, it seems like they're doing the right thing. They're saying, like, please, we're not going to force our way through. We're not going to fight you. We're not going to kill you. Can we please come through? And it seems like God doesn't show up. Where's God? God doesn't appear with an easy solution of, like, let me just part the sea again for you. He's, it's like, where, where is he? And this is not what they expected. They did the right thing. It feels like they got burned. Where's God? So they had to go around Edom, which is not the path that they wanted to take. So what happens when they feel hopeless, helpless at the mercy of somebody else? They grow impatient, it says. They speak against God. They choose sin. And I thought this was so interesting, right? I'm like putting myself in their shoes, and I'm ready to be like, those jerks, like those Edomites, why can't they just da-da-da-da-da? But did they do that? No. It's not against the people of Edom. Where does it go? They go back to their same root issue, of like, God, you're not good to us. You're not taking care of us. Because it still has not been resolved in their hearts that God is for them and that he is with them and that he is good. And so any trigger that they have that makes it hard for them, they just run right back to that same place of like, God, you're the worst. You just never take care of us. So that's what we see from them. And I love this. They're so illogical, right? Can we look at this again? It says... There's no food, and there's no water, and we loathe this worthless food. It's like, wait, what food? Like, what food? You just said there's no food, and now you're saying it's worthless. So they're not even, like, reasonable in this, right? They're illogical. And um, <clears throat> I just think that this is something about complaining, too. It, like, magna- we, like, magnify our problems. Have you ever noticed that? It's like, you're, like, in traffic for, like, 15 extra minutes, and you get there, and you're, like, oh, it took, like, two hours. <laughs> it's, like, oh, two hours, really? Or was it, like, really literally 15 minutes? Or I just love my kids are, like, I am starving. Like, are you really starving? Or did you have, like, second breakfast, like, a half hour ago? <laughs> yes, you did. And... Um, that's what we do when we complain often, is we exaggerate. Like, why do we do that? Because if we make the problem way bigger, we can justify, I'm a victim. Like, I'm really, really, really a victim. See how huge this inconvenience was for me? It's, it's so huge. We have to make it bigger to be bigger victims. But you see that they're, they're totally not connected to reality. We have no food and the food you give us is worthless so i know like in, in sermons i think you're not supposed to talk about your kids i think that's like a rule i'm totally going to it's just <laughs> it's just my whole frame of the world right now <laughs> i'm a mom um but kids are great at this. Like I said, it's like, like I said, like, I'm starving. It's like, really? You don't have enough food to survive? Even though we, like, they are, they are like hobbits. They have two breakfasts every morning because we just can't, we just can't make it. Or like, you know, like playing, we've played Uno with them for like a half an hour. And then we're like, this is the last game. It's time to go to bed. They're like, you never play with me. It's like, well, we I just did for a half hour. Um... But that's what we do when we complain, right? We just kind of get illogical and make it crazy. Okay, so let's see what they do next. Numbers 21, 6 through 7. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people in Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he takes the serpents away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. So in this series, we've looked at how complaining is like toxic poison. And here, it becomes literal poison. They are poisoned because they chose to complain and to speak against God. So part of this, perhaps, is just God taking away his supernatural protection of them. Because they're in the wilderness, and... Snakes are all over the wilderness. And so up to this time, God has been protecting them from the natural curse of the world. And so God says, okay, I'm just going to lift that up. And so now it's like creation is almost at war against them because they have chosen to push God away. And this is what complaining does. It always pushes. Complaining pushes. So... Complaining pushes back heaven. He says, I don't want you. And when, what happens when we push back heaven is we just invite darkness to come and fill that space. So they're pushing back, saying, God, you're terrible. We don't want you. And, and he, they're pushing back his protection and heaven. And the darkness and chaos comes and fills that, which is in, in, where they are is snakes. Complaining pushes back God and says, "No thanks, I don't. I don't want relationship with you." When we complain against other people, in some sense, we push back against them. We 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 are like stripping them of honor, and we're stripping them of their even their personhood, and we're saying. I am declaring my independence of you. I don't need you in my life. Because you haven't come through for me. So now I'm just going to do it by myself because I can't depend on you. We do that to God, and we do that to other people. But gratitude, the opposite, is the exact opposite. (laughs) Gratitude invites heaven. It says, like, thank you, more, come in. It invites relational connection. So yesterday, when we were doing second breakfast, I had made Sam um, just some toast with butter and jelly. This kid loves carbs, and he loves butter. It's like his love seriously love language. And usually, usually don't do that for breakfast, but I'm like, it's second breakfast, brain's gone, (laughs) whatevs. That's great. Butter and jelly, sure, you can have it. So I got him his butter and jelly toast, and then I had to go upstairs for a minute to do something. And something we've really, really, really been working on for like ever is you don't leave the table unless you ask to be excused. This has been like the biggest struggle ever. And so I'm upstairs, and all of a sudden, here comes Sam in the room, and I'm thinking. First, I'm thinking, you don't leave the table unless you're excused. <laughs> like, why can I not leave for one minute? And then the second thing I'm thinking is, oh, he just like took his plate over to the sink, and now he's done, and we can keep going. And it was neither one of those things. <laughs> he actually comes up to me and just like looks at me for a little bit. I'm like, yeah. Mama, thank you so much for the bread with butter and jelly. I just wanted to tell you thank you. And then da, 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 back to his spot. And I was like, thank you, Lord. Like, as a parent, those moments, you're like, if I could have like 10 of those a day, everything would be perfect. <laughs> like, I could do this really well. Those don't come around very often. But it was this sense of like, Him recognizing that I'm not just mom. Like, I'm not just mom who always gives, 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 gives. Like, it's not just, I'm not just the one whose job it is to make sure that everything in his life happens. It's like, mom is a person. And mom chose to do this for me. And mom loves me. And he recognized that and wanted to acknowledge it to me. That's what gratitude is. It's saying, I see you, I recognize you, I'm focusing on this, and I'm honoring you. So that's the opposite of complaining. So that's the first thing, is they push God away. And they pushed away his protection and relationship with him. Now, the second thing that I think is really super interesting in this is they said in the previous passage when they're complaining... Where is it? You have why have you brought us out here to die? They're like they've prophesied what's going to happen to them. They spoke that into being. Their words brought it about. They said they would die and they did. They prophesied death. And that's what they get. So anytime we complain, we are choosing in some measure death in our own hearts and in our own lives. We're choosing to push other people away, to push God away, to, to break connection. And the result of that is some measure of death in our own hearts. Anytime we choose gratitude or statements of faith, statements of belief, then we are speaking and affecting life. We have... I'm a resource person. I'm like, give me a resource and I can run with it. Like, I just need some handholds. And... I think it was like maybe a year ago. Brian got this <clears throat> declarations book, which is by the 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 author is the man who's doing our feast and fast, our Lenten feast and fast. So Steve Backlund. And this is a book called it's called Declarations. It has thirty one different chapters, so we do them um, one a day in different areas of your life, and they're just statements of faith. And like, not to be dramatic, but I feel like this has, like, totally changed my life. Like, honestly. Because it has given me, it has built such faith in my heart about who I am. And about who we are as a family. And about who God is. And it has challenged me so much to be, to, it's almost like setting the bar so high for myself. So I just want to read a couple of these so you can kind of get a a taste of what they are. And when we, when, I, when we speak these, there's a sense of renewing our mind, of like changing what we believe. And then we're also agreeing with truth. We're saying, yes, Lord, may it be so. This is a promise, and I'm going to believe it in faith, so it builds our faith. So I am an outrageously joyful person, I'm an outrageously joyful person. Speaking that out loud requires faith in my heart to say, okay, Lord, that is what you've said. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. So that's a fruit in my life because your Spirit lives in me. And if I'm not experiencing that right now, then I'm going to believe it for my future because that's who you said that can be and who you have made me to be. And so I am an outrageously joyful person. Even in the midst of uncertainty, I live from a place of unshakable joy. Thank you, Lord. I will not be shaken. Can you, like, hear how these are, like, powerful? Such power in these words. I am fearless, courageous, and I live with an understanding that people are hungry for Jesus. Does that shift my vision that day of how I interact with people, those people are hungry for Jesus. I have a vision for that. That changes something in my heart. That changes the trajectory of how my thoughts and my actions play out that day. I am full of vision and hope for my children. Yes, Jesus. As I am interacting with them throughout the day, I have hope for them. For this sin struggle, there is hope. I have vision for who God has created them to be. They are going somewhere. We are going somewhere. Thank you, Jesus. This is not all it will ever be, two breakfasts a day. <laughs> so this has been so powerful in our family's life. We used to do these, we called them dinner declarations. We would do them at dinner. We were doing that really well until Christmas time. Anita, can you put up the picture? So this is, this is our. Breakfast table. This is this morning, actually, because my kids—I don't know what, what happened—but like St. Patrick's Day for them is like top two holidays. I don't—I don't know where that came from, but like you can see, they have—I made green scones for them this morning. Like they're having green juice. We're having pesto pasta. Like everything has to be green today. It's like their favorite. Anyway, I don't know. It's like better than like Christmas almost for them. They've been like looking forward to it for months. Um, but anyway. So this is our breakfast table, and at Christmas time, Brian actually got the boys this book. It's called I Am So Many Things, and we've been doing one a day with our boys at breakfast. And as much as I feel like this declarations book has been life-changing for me, I am believing that this I Am So Many Things book is going to, is, and will be life-changing for my kids. So um, it just is super, super simple, I'll just, I don't know if you can see, but there's just like a very simple kind of like ink drawing on one side, and then a truth, statement of truth on the other side. And each morning at breakfast, we teach the boys a new one, and they're so easy with the picture that they can just memorize them that day, and then we'll review them. And so there's just been something so powerful about hearing my kids declare the truth about their own identities that they don't totally understand yet. Like, some of them, they totally do not understand. Like, one of them's like, I am on fire. And they're like, uh, what does that mean? So we talk about Pentecost, because you know, it has references to the scriptures. But um, they don't fully understand them, but it's planting this sense of identity into their heart, and they are declaring these truths. I am God's very good idea. I am God's special treasure. I am a generous and cheerful giver. All these things that they are speaking about who they are. And we are planting that into our family culture and teaching them that we speak truth into our identity because this is who God has called us to be and he will do it. We believe it. And so there's just something so powerful about renewing our minds, what we believe. As a man thinks, so he is. What we believe is where all of our actions come from. And what we speak is powerful because it does. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. We can speak hope and vision and life and faith and follow where that leads. Or we can speak complaining which only leads to death. It's our choice. We get to choose. The Israelites chose death, literally. And so after this, after they're dying, they repent and ask Moses to intercede and ask God to take the stakes away. Fair enough. Let's see what happens in Numbers 21, 8 and 9. The Lord says to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. By the way, speaking of St. Patrick's Day, it's kind of cool we're talking about snakes. Is that's like, do you know St. Patrick is like thought to have driven all the snakes out of Ireland? It's kind of fun. Um, but do you notice this? They repented and asked God to take the snakes away. And God doesn't do it, does he? He doesn't take the snakes away. That's not his solution. That was their solution. But he gives them provision. He provides his solution. So God provides a snake on a pole and tells them, if you look at it, you will live. Okay, what? what is this? Which I think is where the medical profession, have you seen, you know, that um, their symbol? It's like the snake on a pole. It's kind of interesting. Okay, why a snake? Well, it's kind of interesting that the cure for the problem looks just like the problem. The problem is snakes. The cure is... A snake. So the cure looks like the problem. Isn't that what Jesus did? Were the problem. Man was the problem. What was his remedy? He became a man. It's kind of interesting. Jesus takes on the form of man to fix the mess of men. Okay, why a pole? Well, they can see it from the whole camp. Everyone has access to it. It's lifted up in the same way that Jesus was lifted up on a cross. Why look? I think this is the most interesting part. Looking is just a simple act of obedience. It's simple. It's just like, here's one step, look. But it is an act. It is something that they have to will themselves to do. There is a choice. It's obedience. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Okay, I'm going to look at some metal thing and then I'll be okay. But they, they have to obey. And it's in faith. Okay, I believe that what you're saying is that this one action will save me. I don't understand. I'll do what you say. It's kind of, it's like it's almost harder to not look at it. Like it's almost harder. It's like, what do you have to lose? Just like look at it. Like literally, like it takes no effort. Just look at it. It's almost like it's harder not to look at it. But there's something of looking at it where it's signifying, like, I will turn my whole attention and my whole focus, and I will gaze. And in that moment, that's all I'm doing is a step of faith, a step of obedience. So as we said, complaining is pushing away and turning against. But this is an act of, of like, Turning your posture towards, aligning yourself towards something, towards Jesus, towards his character, instead of attacking and pushing away. It's it's like a reorientation of dependence, where complaining is saying, I don't need you, I will be independent because I can't count on you or you're not good to me declaring our independence. This is a declaration of dependence. They're looking at it saying, I need you. You are the only option. Looking at this snake, this is the only way I can get my need met. I am utterly surrendered and dependent. That's the posture. So, when we are doing the right thing, being faithful. And when we encounter hopelessness or helplessness because we are at the mercy of someone who is not kind, who is not fair, who does not seem to be treating us right, we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus, and we remember the gospel. The whole gospel. In John 3, as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. We have a greater measure than the Israelites did. We too have been bit by a snake and poisoned. This whole world was under a curse from, as my kids call it, the bad snake. He did poison the world. And yet we have a greater measure of salvation in turning independence to Jesus and saying, I am orienting myself in a posture of need that you are good and that you will provide salvation for me. Salvation. Salvation, period. Then salvation over and over and over and over again in every situation and in every circumstance. I will not choose impatience and complaining. I will not push you away, but I will draw near to you in gratitude and say, I will wait upon you, Lord, for your deliverance and for your salvation. And we have such a greater salvation. So much more is given to us than just we are made well. We are made whole. We are offered freedom. We are offered grace. We are offered relationship. All the things, this is so interesting, this is Brian's point—I didn't think of this. He did. But he's saying, um, if God hadn't provided for them this serpent, He still would have been God. His character wouldn't have changed. If He hadn't provided us Jesus, He still would have been God, and His character wouldn't have changed. But what is true and what does change as we receive Jesus? God's still good. God's character's unchanging. But what changes is who we are. Our identity is what changes. Our character is what changes. All the things that are true about who we are is through Jesus. The favor of God can flow to us through Jesus in a new way that is never before. And, you know, Jesus is the great snake crusher. So as the band comes back up, um, what we can choose to believe renewing our mind, and what we can choose to speak, declaring faith, is that we have access to all the promises of God, all of these things that are in my son's book. I am God's very good idea. I am God's special treasure. I am Christ's ambassador. I am courageous. I am being transformed by the renewing of my mind. I am overflowing with the Holy Spirit. I am righteous before God. I am covered in grace. I am hidden under the shadow of God's wings. All of these things are true because we can look at Jesus. We can turn our attention to him. We can gaze at him. We can say, I choose, like the Israelites, a simple act again and again and again and again of obedience in faith. Obedience to you, Jesus, who has called me to be a person of joy, a person who does not give in to complaining. And I act in faith that, yes, this is what you've called me to be. This is who you've said that I am, and so you are bringing it about, and you have given me everything I need to accomplish that. And that you are God, you are good. You are not holding out on me. You are not not showing up. You are there, and I can wait patiently for you. So as we respond today, I would just encourage you to ask God, where have I felt like I have done the right thing and you haven't showed up? Where have I felt like I am trying to be faithful and I'm at the mercy of something that I cannot control? And where have I chosen complaining, pushing you away, inter-independence versus dependence on you, welcoming you close, looking at you and saying, yes, Jesus, you are what I need and I believe that you will be my salvation. Just encourage you to ask him that and respond during our time of worship. If you'd like prayer, I encourage you to come up to the front, to the sides. And our prayer team would love to pray for you. So Jesus, we just ask for you to speak to us today. about places in our hearts where we have hardened ourselves against others and against you, declaring our independence. Lord, help us to see those things and speak truth to our hearts where we have believed lies about who you are and who we are. We receive from you today great grace sweet and gentle love your kind forgiveness and your strong truth thank you Lord